Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to an episode that uh, surely will not be controversial or uh, raise raise any emotions in any direction whatsoever. Which is which is a little bit of a departure around these parts. We're used to breaking down, you know, two thousand eight playoff series and all kinds of quirky things of that nature. But today, essentially, um, I put out this video recently about the evolution of the rules, the evolution of the way the game has been called, the um, changes over time and kind of leading to where we are today with all kinds of crazy tactics like the, the rip through and jumping into players and up fakes for fouls and all, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's a fairly long video. I think it's almost 30 minutes in runtime if you haven't seen it on the Thinking Basketball YouTube channel. But that has sparked conversations about officiating and Cody and I have gone back and forth in in our slack we've got there's just a lot of conversations we've had around this and we thought it would be a good idea to or maybe a terrible idea I don't know to uh, continue the conversation or get it on record here today because there's a lot of interesting sort of issues or avenues that I feel like this topic brought up and before we get to those I'll say this as the background for me, Cody, going through and and actually laying out all of these clips from all of these games that I've watched over a very long period of time and looking at what we have in the 60s and then a ton more film in the 70s. And then, of course, since the 80s, it's just almost endless games. You and I can't even get through them all. Um, it was really illuminating to me on a number of fronts. But the big takeaways, I think, were that some of these changes, whether it's an official rule or a de facto rule, where there's been a relaxation of the enforcement of, say, dribbling, for instance, or traveling or something like that, has made the game more entertaining. It's opened up the more exciting things in the game. Um, It's maybe the simplest way to describe it is that it's increased ball skills and and what you can do with the ball, but also... uh, these changes, including huge hard changes like the three-point line opening up space, have led to the most exciting kind of plays in basketball. And this boom in basketball that came with this in the 80s, to me, is related to this story about the rule changes. There's there's uh, training and there's technology and there's the actual uh, tactics and, and strategy of coaches and things. But when you look at the game getting more popular, it's usually ball skills, crossovers, change of direction, penetration, incredible shooting off these actions, and then these high-flying aerial plays. Um, You know, the defining characteristic of Michael Jordan is not lowering his shoulder and dunking over someone. The defining characteristic is slithering and flying through the air and avoiding contact and taking contact and twisting and spinning and bumping and reversing. Julius Irving before him, David Thompson, 
et cetera, et cetera, kind of the golden boom of the league with Bird and Magic and things like that. So the takeaway for me is that some of these rules have and, and relaxations have helped the league tremendously. Some of them maybe have gone too far or in directions that have turned certain people off. And finally, that there's a balance in some areas to strike. I think of watching the physicality of the game over the decades and seeing like, huh, in the 60s, they really didn't allow much contact. And so maybe what excites us as fans requires a little bit more contact because the intensity needs to be higher. Just guys, like, I'm going to get to the rim no matter what. It's like, no, we're going to stand in your way no matter what. And there's some contact that is required for that, banging for position in the post, things like that. But when you have too much contact, then do you start to eliminate the things in the game that are exciting in terms of skill and strategy, and you revert to... I mean, what essentially starts to look like another sport, football or rugby or other sports where those sports have features that select for that kind of, I'm going to overpower you like a Greco-Roman wrestler, where basketball seems to be popular because of all the other things that I mentioned. Um, those are my big takeaways. It's led to a lot of things that we could potentially talk about here. But you've, you haven't heard that. What, what's, what's your thoughts in hearing that? What's your takeaway? Here? Well, I think... To get this conversation really going in like a specific direction, because like you said, you have a half hour long video. There's a lot of avenues we could take to tackle this, but I kind of want to go down this one train of thought that we were having, this conversation that we were having. And to, to keep it somewhat general here, I think it all started with you talking about this idea of like uh, maybe coaches or other figures pushing this idea of the shoulder bump. Whereas like you watch you watch players now and they drive and when you're driving to the basket, you kind of put your shoulder into the defending player to create space. And that can be for a couple different ways. You can put your shoulder into them to maybe take a step back. You put your shoulder into them to rise up and get more contact going for a layup. But the issue then is like, should we be angry at coaches for trying to teach this skill set of the shoulder bump when that's the way that the game is being played right now? Or should we try and preserve a sort of normative spirit of what basketball should be which might not include that sort of shoulder bump so i think that's kind of the two places we're at is like when you're trying to describe what's happening in the game and you're trying to to develop skills of upcoming players do you look at how the game is even if it's not necessarily how basketball quote-unquote should be and we'll talk about should soon or should you be teaching skills that are quote-unquote timeless that are somehow outside of or transcending the actual rule book. Well, I feel like the buck kind of stops with the NBA, don't you? The, the, the way the game is officiated, whether it's the officials themselves or even the owners in the offseason saying, you know, what should we allow? What shouldn't we allow? The buck seems to stop with them. The, the players and coaches and strategies and developmental coaches and skill coaches for younger players, they can do what they want. But if they get in the game and it's not allowed then they're not going to continue to to teach it i assume do you, do you um do you buy that yeah i totally buy that because the idea is like if the nba is allowing it this is where it's going to be going for each of the different levels so if this is something that's going on at the nba and it seems like everyone is doing it this is probably a skill that we should be teaching at these lower levels then yeah the the shoulder bump was just one example another one that i've seen is the so-called push crossover which is liter the literal definition of a carry 
in the rule book where when the ball's in the air, uh, you your hand can be under it. It can be on the side of it. That's, I, th- I think, how coaches like to teach it. But your hand is on the side of it, and then you push it across your body so the ball doesn't descend, right? You're essentially hold- carrying the ball uh, a- across a space without it descending. And this is often used... Uh, to to prevent the defender from reaching and stealing is because because it looks like you're going to dribble, but instead of the ball angling and dribbling back down to the court, you just carry it in the air. Um, and I've seen a lot of skill coach. They give me a hard time. They're like, "That's a push crossover. That's what we're teaching." And the, and it raised this question, this conversation that we're having of you know just because you name something as you're teaching it, does that then normalize it? Does that then validate it. The shoulder bump thing is very interesting for me because it it falls into the space of contact in basketball. And I think basketball does very well to highlight the things that, at least in the past, seem to have made the game popular. We can talk about, you know, whether that holds true for the future or not. That's an interesting sort of avenue we can go down. But in the past, if you're saying X, Y, and Z elements make basketball popular. Is it dropping your shoulder into the middle of someone's chest? Uh, I don't know that I've seen a lot of people get overly excited about that. Whereas when I was growing up, and again, I don't want to get, it's, it's not about my personal preferences here. I want to be very clear to make, you know, make that clear. Like I can, I can share what I have, but the, the answer here is not to lock the game into my personal preferences. I think the, the spirit of the conversation we were having is what's, what's healthiest for the league, what's most successful for the league and what do fans really want to see when they go to a game. Um, when I was growing up, you couldn't put your shoulder into the middle of someone's chest. Heck, 10 years ago, you couldn't put your shoulder into the middle of someone's chest, but you did have these really exciting plays that I alluded to that you started to see more in the 80s where on a drive, you dipped your shoulder and you might aim for the empty space next to someone's hip or you might aim for their hip or you might aim for the outside of their arm or something. And then if you have the strength to power through that contact, going back to Michael Jordan, arguably the most popular player in the history of the entire sport, like he was so strong and so good at maintaining balance through that contact but he wasn't driving his shoulder through the middle of someone's chest and and trying to discard and create space that way so um yeah i don't know there's 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 a lot there i'm sure you can respond to all right so if we're the key to any kind of conversation like this is like it's like taking care of a good tree or getting rid of a good tree right like if there's a tree and you're trying to get rid of it or you're trying to understand the tree, you're not just going to like clip the buds or clip the branches, right? You have to follow it down to the roots. So I'm trying to like take everything that we're saying here and get to the roots of the conversation so we're not like clipping in the the abstract here and getting nowhere. So a couple of things that you've said a couple of times, you're talking about popularity of basketball. This is a a phrase you've used a few times in this conversation already. But like, I, I almost think, and this seems like a ridiculous question, but Ben, what is basketball? And I don't know... I think that the issue with that question is like, is there a platonic ideal of what basketball is? Like, is there an ideal like way that basketball should normatively be played in the world or should it just be based on popularity? Should we keep changing and tweaking basketball to the point where it is as massively possible as as possible? And when that happens, that's what the ideal basketball is. Oh, I think those are totally the right questions. Um, I think we can define basketball, at least as the, the sport, the construct that we know and love. I think 
you almost have to kind of draw lines around it somewhere, but they're not rigid lines. So in that sense, I don't think there's any platonic ideal. Uh, I, I think, again, doing this video and seeing the evolution of these things, I think has clearly opened up different avenues of strategy, different avenues of tactics. And going back to the popularity thing, that's been very healthy for the sport. But also, I don't know how rigid the rules need to be. I mean, the rules are constantly changing. One thing about researching this video is I tried to focus on the big things around the thesis, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens of little rules here and there. That, Like I told you this one that was hilarious. At some point, they put a stipulation in in one of the off seasons that you couldn't roll the ball. I don't know who was rolling the ball. I don't know who was taking advantage of of, of rolling the ball. Um, but you like you see stuff like that. Or why was it goaltending to pin the ball against the backboard? Why was dunking outlawed and then brought back in? There, there's there's a lot of things that change regularly. So I am from the standpoint, both empirically over what's happened, and then even just my own personal taste of. No, there's not a platonic ideal. The thing is always going to change. But it becomes a little ship of Theseus, if you will, where if you change it enough, is it no longer basketball? And I would actually say that matters only in an entertainment sense, only in the sense that you're competing then with football, with soccer, with other sports, other things. And if you can no longer recognize basketball of that, then why is someone tuning in. If, if it was just a wrestling match with a ball, why would we watch? So I think even the ship of Theseus, I think, is a really interesting way to, to go about this because there still is a literal ship of Theseus. Like when you look at it, this is Theseus's ship, right? Should we should we actually explain what I'm realizing? This is not a philosophical podcast. It, <laughs> um, today it is, but we are thinking basketball today. Truly. Uh, the ship of Theseus is this idea of a ship that starts one place and then you keep replacing each of the individual parts. And by the time you get somewhere else, all of the original parts are gone, but it's still, is it still the original ship? So I think in terms of talking about that with the NBA, do we care about it being this particular ship or do we just need it to be some kind of vehicle that floats and moves? Because if that's the case, like what are the component parts of basketball that are like static and unchanging and the things that cannot be touched? And then what are the things that we can tweak and change? Because we're talking about the shoulder bump. We're talking about because there is the spectrum outlawing dunking. I'm pretty sure most fans would be like, yeah, we probably shouldn't outlaw dunking. Pinning the ball against the backboard. Yeah, I think most fans would say you should probably be able to pin the ball without it being called goaltending. Shoulder bump? Should you be able to drive your shoulder into a player when you're driving? I'm not sure what what critical consensus would be. And then let's say critical consensus is high, like 80% of fans are like, yeah, this is great. We should have a lot of shoulder bumps. Then do we allow it? Like, when do you decide it's a good change for the game? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Adidas. 
I want to be clear also on the shoulder bump because it's it's named deliberately to sound very innocuous. Again, this is not dipping your shoulder on a drive like you might see in basketball games for decades and decades and decades. This is on your drive. The thing the thing that the league put out a memo on their points of emphasis last year saying, do not do this. This is targeting the defender who is in space away from you by by basically cross-checking him by leaning your lead shoulder into the middle of his body to discard him, to throw him off balance and create space. Um, that exists, to your point, I think, on a spectrum of physicality. And so then you get into this. For me, I've always had this question of like, isn't there a spirit of physicality that lives in some nebulous it's a zone i don't know what the exact line is but it's a zone and when you go out there and you start elbowing people in the face i I think we all agree it's like the supreme court's definition of pornography or something it's like we all know it when we see it that does not seem to be in the spirit of basketball and to your larger question if we're asking about what does it even mean to play basketball in 50 years um you know will you be allowed to do brazilian jiu-jitsu holds as a way to trick opponents in the post I don't know. Maybe fans would love that. But is that still even basketball at that point? Um, I think these are all the questions that matter in this conversation. I, I don't know the answers to some of those. And that's that's kind of where I'm stuck with all of this is like when I look at some of these things, like I, I consider myself an NBA analyst, right? I watch the game. I can tell you what's going on. I can analyze it. I can give you some background information or whatever else. But I don't necessarily know if or when it's ever my role to step in and be like, this is bad. Like, I can watch some grifters, and I'm not going to name any grifters like James Harden in the league and be like, some things that he does are grifting, and the game would be significantly better without him, right? As you said with the Supreme Court there, you can just kind of look at that and be like, that. somehow that feels wrong. But for like a lot of these other things, individually, I feel a little uncomfortable being able to step in and being like, "Mm, this is starting to get a little too far. And then the question becomes like, who gets to decide that? Who gets to decide when we're straying too far away from what what the spirit of basketball is? And I think that's the, again, the ship of Theseus, that the key part of any of these philosophical conversations is where do you draw the line? And I think being able to determine where you draw the line in these conversations is, I don't know how you can continue with some of them until you answer that. Well, I think the league draws, I think the league decides, they literally draw the line, or the officials enforcing it draw the line for them. But then in this case, based on sort of the spirit of this conversation, the fans and the market also draws the line. Because um, it's interesting you bring up Harden, especially when he was at his peak, Harden's game to me wasn't, uh, let's say, non-aesthetic, right? Like he was doing things out there that were from if you if you put him in the 80s and you made a highlight film and you took out the grifting, you'd be like, whoa, this guy is smooth and slick. And look at this pocket pass and look at this jumper. And look like it had a lot of that. And yet at that point in time, um, I think a lot of people started to be turned off by the other things in his game. The the I mean, you said it, the grifting. Um, and now at this point, one thing that we were talking about right before we recorded is I've always been surprised at sort of from a YouTube, you know, what, what players do well, what players don't do well, popularity wise, he's, he's very unpopular for superstars. He does, he does not do particularly well. Uh, so I'm led to conclude that if you say the fans and the league are the ones who are ultimately responsible in an, in this dance in this unison dance that they interact fans consume the product that the league puts out uh 
it seems to me that people don't like that direction. Uh, you know, that's the only way I think we could judge this. Can you think of other ways? I mean, we could we could poll everybody, but that's like the same thing, I think. So I think that's the interesting question is you say it is it is literally the NBA that decides this, right? But I think the better question is, should it literally be the NBA that decides this, right? And if we are boiling it down to popularity, and if we are caring about popularity, should it be like this delicate dance where like the NBA is constantly bringing in focus groups and testing things and being like, hey, this is something that's going on in the league right now. Hey, this is what's going on with this player. Is this something that we should be doing or not allowing or allowing and then going from there? Because if it is a popularity driven thing, the NBA should just be listening to that right i think they do you know have practices like that i think there are circumstances where they have focus groups and they're looking at numbers and they're they're looking at what's popular at certain points of time and think i think evan wash was discussing this uh when i had him on um whenever that was, it was sometime during the pandemic it was a couple of years ago i think at this point but I, I do think that is part of it so yeah i i mean I don't know. I think you and I are in agreement here in that I don't know if there is a easy right answer, which is goes back to your original question. Like, I don't know if there's a platonic ideal of what basketball is. But at the same time, if I'm describing someone playing with like an oblong object and helmets and pads and running a crossing route and getting lit up by a defensive back, I think we all know I'm not describing a basketball play anymore. So um, short of removing the hoop, like, of course, the hoop's going to be there. The court's going to be there. But can it be basketball without dribbling? Can it be basketball if, you know, you need to have the best blockers instead of uh, X's and O's that give you screening action? I, I, I genuinely don't know from like a sciencey epistemology philosophical standpoint. But as a basketball fan for decades... I would say no, that doesn't feel like basketball anymore. And I I don't even know how the market would respond to it. Maybe basketball is super popular, you know, like we, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, we have to agree that we're not going to sit down today and like map out right, exactly right. what. No, that's not the goal. No, we're not going to map out the yeah. ideal basketball. It's not, this is not thinking basketball presents new basketball or whatever <laughs> else. But my, let's take this, let's take what we've talked about then and bring it back. Like, like let's bring it back to the question at hand where you were talking about these different coaches that are pushing like the shoulder bump and stuff. If somebody doesn't want to like philosophically engage with being like, I don't care about individually being involved with like the ethics of what the NBA should or should not look like. I'm just responding to what the NBA is doing. Isn't that actually to their advantage and to other players advantage to them to be teaching these skills that people like us might be sitting on the outside being like, I don't know, this might not be great for the game. And isn't it better for them to just not care about that and to teach it since that's where the NBA is right now? I don't know. I don't know about that one. Um, because that feels to me like an argument for grifting or cheat. I mean, why not cheat? If you're, What's the expression? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me. Because in the case of in specifically just the two plays that we were discussing that led to this if in the shoulder bump and the push crossover no one's forcing you to do those you're just you're just doing something that's in the rule book that you're not supposed to do and you're like well if we can get away with it now i've seen trainers who talk about this technique of the bump be like you know you have to do the bump because you're going to get hit that doesn't make sense to me either if you're going to get fouled then it's a foul if you're not going to get fouled then they're not doing anything illegal so you're just saying, I want to preemptively do something 
that's illegal, but I want to make it not illegal by doing it so much that it becomes normalized. It's kind of like Pat Riley's Knicks, you know, where the league, the league used to complain in the early 90s that one of the reasons they were so good defensively is they fouled on every possession and they kind of wore out the whistle for the official. The official became fatigued calling all these fouls. And by the end of each game, by the end of every time they saw the Knicks, they were like, well, for the Knicks, that's not a foul. That's that's not really that big of a deal. So I'm thinking about I legitimately don't know when this happened. This could have been in 2008. This could have been in 2012. Who knows? But I f- there was a time when the NBA cracked down on flopping. Like, I remember for, for like a week. Yeah, I very yeah. well. Like you would get fined literally if you flopped and then it stopped. I have not heard about that for years. And there are players that that generate solid value. I'm not going to try and tell you exactly how much value, but they get value from flopping. So wouldn't you agree with me then that being a good flopper is actually to your benefit as a player? And if it's actually to your benefit as a player and you get financial compensation for it and teams get financial compensation for being good, isn't it actually good for the player and the team to be good at flopping aside from all of these ethical conversations. So are you saying that the Vladi Divac Flop Academy should just have people signed up out that like the, the waiting list should be millions and millions of kids trying to get in there and perfect their flopping technique? Because, you know, if you could take advantage of the officials, why not? I'm not I'm not I'm trying not to say what anything should or should not be. I'm, well, I'm saying let's let's change the word should to incentivized. I'm just trying to echo what you were what you were saying. Yes, I think people are very much incentivized to do that. And I'm almost surprised that that sort of thing doesn't happen more because like I just said, you're benefited from doing that. You're benefited from learning how to do the shoulder push and the the push crossover and and the flopping. Obviously, the other skills are much more important. You need to be able to run and jump and shoot and pass and all of these other things. But if you're improving on the market, Margins. If you're competing with other G League players to get into the league, if you're competing with other bench players to get a starter spot, if you're competing with other starters to become an all-star, the margins are where you have to start improving, I feel like. Uh, mm, okay. It, it, again, it feels like the same if you're not cheating. You're, I mean, there are other margins that you could improve on that I, I don't think we have to get into. Um, but, you know, there are margins that maybe maybe a lot of baseball players once in the early 2000s tried to really improve on some margins, and they were very incentivized to do that. Uh, and I don't want to single out baseball because I actually think most most high financial stake sports have had performance enhancement issues for decades, but it's the, it's the same logic. Um, now, if fans like that, you know, it always confused me. I was like, baseball kind of did this weird thing where they were like, we're kind of okay with this because it's helping our popularity. But then at some point they had to stop it. And then when they took it away, it like actually seemed to hurt the popularity because no one could break any records. I, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't followed baseball as much as closely. Um, but, you know, certainly there's a lot there. I think the thing for me that I kind of care about going forward as a, as a longtime fan and as someone now who just watches basketball all day um, I just hope people realize the ramifications of going in certain directions. That that's so. Let's take let's take flopping, right? Um, just to use as an example for why I think this is sort of the big punctuating point. I don't know. Maybe maybe we end the podcast on this. I don't know. Um, if you look at the history of flopping, it's very hard to see anything that resembles flopping in like the seventies 
games that are available. And frankly, in a lot of the 80s games, there might be a few actors here and there. But actor is the key word. And so by the time you get to like the end of the 80s, you will see plenty of players embellishing contact. Dennis, I mean, Dennis Rodman, such a flamboyant on 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 floor athlete uh, with the way he moved his body and grabbed rebounds with the leg kick and, you know, pointing up to the sky all the time. And so there were players all over the place that would take a hit and give it a little extra, give it a little extra. And they used to be like, well, that's acting, you know, that's 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 exaggerating. At some point, Vladi was probably, I mean, he was the first big time, huge flopper I can think of. I like to end the thinking basketball videos with a like a great shot or something like that. I ended this one with a Vladi flop. Um, and he has so many great ones from early on. But by the time you get into the 2000s, this sort of what we would describe, I think, as all out flopping has become much more popular and as a strategy. And then where does it go from there? Does that incentivize and move you into the Chris Paul, I'm going to do a rip through into your face from 90 feet away and get free throws. Like, and where does that go? If we don't care about that and we don't stop that, what's next? And to your point, when do the margins become, you know, do they not become the margins anymore? If you just are winning in this fashion, uh, we as analysts can probably look at numbers and say like, well, only 12% of their offense came from this or when you're a fan and you watch a team, I'm not going to mention the Suns, but like when you watch them and you have a number of players uh, grifting for fouls over and over and over and over again, um, I, I, let's just say I've had a lot of text messages about it over the last year or two from other people who find it very difficult to watch, even if it's only like six or eight plays in a game. That starts to feel like a lot, right? Yeah, and coming at it even from like, Coming from an education perspective, I always I, I say that students, adolescents are kind of like water, right? And like the classroom or the way that you like kind of run things, you're like the jar. And it's not necessarily an indictment on the adolescents if they do or act some kind of way. They're just like water. If they find cracks or they find different alleyways out of that jar, they're going to find it because that's just naturally how it happens. I extend that out to everybody now. It feels like <laughs> it like like adolescents are just young people, right? And then H- they human nature. Yeah, exactly. Human nature is water. And I think if we want to get to the point that you're talking about at this point, like the NBA should get to I don't want to say the word cracking down, but if they actually don't want flopping there or they don't want the rip through or they don't want, you know, Giannis elbowing Jalen Brown in the face and drawing a foul from it. Like you need to back up and be like, all right, we need to get this back to like what the spirit of this part of the game is and almost emphasize the spirit of basketball and being like, look, the spirit of basketball isn't like flinging yourself 10 feet backwards because of someone backed into you or something like that. But um, I I ultimately don't know. Again, I don't want to be the one saying that like this should be what's going on. It should be like if it's not popular that people are doing this, then the NBA should be responding. I guess I just said should there, but the, it's in it's in the <laughs> NBA's best interest to respond to what public and popular opinion is. I feel like you you just full circled kind of how how we started back to how we started the the conversation offline in the first place, which is my should. I don't know what the league looks like. I don't know what these changes look like, but it feels to me like someone should be paying attention to this stuff, um, not just within the league, but, uh, you know, one of the things that 
it strikes me in my experience is that the young, the younger fans, if you've only been exposed to like a generation or even two generations of basketball, you might not be as sensitive to those changes. But now I'm, you know, people my age or people uh, slightly older than me, you're in your 40s and your 50s. And I, the number of people I hear who are like, yeah, I don't I don't like watching the game anymore because of X, Y and Z. You know, again, there's no rule that says we have to cater to that and we can't make the sport transient. One, it just makes me a little sad. And two, I then get worried about the next generation. If you're 20 years old right now and you're like, man, that bump, this push crossover and the shoulder bump is amazing. Just be aware that if we go down that path in 10 years, you might be like, this is ridiculous. I want to go back to the days of when we only had the shoulder bump and the push crowd now we have the hip hoppity do triple four-step gallop and uh and you're allowed to do the solar plexus elbow and and reverse kick like that's all i'm saying it's just i think the only should here from my perspective is let's have an awareness of this and then i think some i think most people want like that spirit of basketball that you described i don't know i i that's that's my sense but maybe i'm wrong on that so maybe this is really too big and too specific of a question but i'm going to ask it anyway it's too big and too specific maybe maybe (laughs) i'm excited for this one so ben if the nba right now adam silver literally gives you a call after this podcast and it's like ben we need he's he's probably going to give us a call for another reason (laughs) (laughs) he calls you up and he's like look first the video now this i love this ship of theseus thing that you said i need that applied to the nba what what are you going to do to try and to try and contain the nba in a way so that we don't have these sprouting unintended consequences like what would you ben do to try and keep the nba sort of in this however you want to call it the 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 nexus of the spirit of the nba well, that was a big takeaway for me from the video is that this unintended consequence stuff is new. And then again, I just went through the history of flopping. Like some people have said, now, wait a second, like there's been exaggeration for decades. What do you mean it's new? Um, I, I, I think a big takeaway from going through all that footage was there's a difference between trying to get away with stuff within, within the goal of playing the game, like put the ball in the basket in the same way that when you play pickup, you would never do like a rip through to someone. It just doesn't make sense. Versus having this interactive feedback loop with the official, with the other three officials on the court. So it's not 10 guys playing, it's 13. Because you can figure out how to manipulate one of the officials standing in the corner. And oh, if he happens to be standing at half court, I can maybe figure out how to manipulate him differently because his sight lines are different to this play. That feels different to me. Being, you know, within the spirit of this conversation and being open-minded, I personally don't like it. But if the fans love that and they like these unintended consequences and it creates a chaos and a spiraling effect that's really popular, then I, I think the league just has to lean into it. It seems to me, at least from the messages that I get, that it's the other way around and that we need to kind of focus on preventing unintended consequences by maybe defining the spirit of some of these rules more clearly. That still gives leeway for interpretation. Basketball is a very fluid sport. It's a sport. Why is, okay, by the way, why is it a very fluid sport? This is really important to say explicitly, I think. It's a sport that allows contact. So bodies can bump into each other, but there are all kinds of instances where that contact is not allowed. So it's like, it's, it's a physical sport. It's a contact sport, but it is 
antithetical to something like American football, where you're trying to plow into someone and push them as hard as you can. And that's what creates this gray area of interpretation. And I don't know if you need to completely adjudicate that out. But I think if you want to avoid the unintended consequences thing, you draw some hazy line, you draw some spirit, like this is what we need to, this is the direction we need to go in. And you work within that framework. And then this, this way, at least you protect your officials, I think, from the sort of rule hacking approach uh, that I think we've seen in the last few years. And you you touched on it there at the end, I think you said there, but uh, the, the, the tough part about like basketball versus offsides and soccer is that you can have like a machine watch for offsides. And if it's literally objectively offsides, it is offsides, right? If you're playing hockey, does the puck cross the... I don't know why I'm using a hockey metaphor. I don't know anything about hockey. I'm going to stick to, to soccer and offsides. Uh, icing. Yeah. Icing is objective. Sure. I don't, yeah. I don't know what that is. That's what I eat on a cake. Um, but with basketball, <laughs> if you have like this gray area, this ambiguous dance of like contact and no contact and all this other stuff, and you have a limited number of human refs out there, I don't know how you're able to avoid a significant amount of of playing with those three is almost like you said, a pseudo thir- three extra players on the court. Yeah, I also, by the way, think uh, NBA refs do an amazing job. They they have so many calls in real time. You know, they're, they don't have the um, ability to, the luxury to rewind and watch these things in super, super slow motion from multiple angles. And there, there were so many calls in this year's playoffs that uh, I'm like, that's a crazy call. And then you watch it again. You're like, oh, there's that, there's that foul that he saw. That is, that is sometimes your fan, if you're a fan, you're so excited, you don't even see it on the replay. You're like, that's clean. And you didn't even see the teammate reaching from behind and, and catching a fistful of elbow or something like that. So I, I think especially when you compare it to lower basketball leagues, high school basketball officiating, college basketball officiating, the refs actually... They, they do this all the time. Their eyes are trained to do this. It's just a matter of what are they going to enforce and kind of, you know, what um, what boundaries can you put on the game to help steer it and nurture it forward in a direction that is the quote-unquote healthiest and the quote-unquote most popular, assu- assuming you cared about that. And that's, I think that's, that gets me back to my original point. And the point that I'm going to keep saying is I don't know how you, how you determine that. Cause I don't want to be the one, maybe I do want to be the one that sits there and determines <laughs> it. May, maybe I do want to know like how we're going to go about determining that, but trying to draw that line and being like, this is what the refs should be responding to. This is what the NBA should be responding to. This is what, how we should define what the spirit of the NBA is. I'm not 100% sure on how to do that unless you have like a spirit of the game committee that the NBA like defines and creates and then they go out and they're constantly like talking to fans and putting out clips and being like, is this how this should be called? How do you feel about this call going on? And then they bring that back and the committee like makes some kind of decision. That's really the only way that I can think of is if the NBA creates the spirit of the game committee. That's actually kind of a cool idea. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Maybe it's one of those ideas that after it after it simmers for a while, people are like, who came up with this ridiculous idea? But no, something like that, um, I think, sounds like, hopefully, it would do more harm than good in this situation. Any any other thoughts on this? I think we've run its course for now. We, you know, we've laid out the situation. It's, uh, the, the video was 60 years worth of basketball officiating evolution that's brought us to today. And I think we've tried to cover as much extra ground and kind of, you know, what what's relevant now. 
I was going to say, if you if you have an extra hour and, and 10 minutes that you want to spend paying attention to refing at the NBA, go watch that YouTube video and then listen to this podcast and, and I don't know, then pro- provide some other insight if you have other thoughts on what you think should be going on with the NBA. If you want uh, additional content that has nothing to do with the meta commentary about the officiating in the league, I think this is a, a first for uh, I mean, we're in the offseason. We, we, we got to explore as many philosophical nooks and crannies as we can. Uh, check out patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That's where we have our, our normal basketball uh, content in addition to that video Cody referenced on YouTube about the history of the sort of evolutionary changes in the way the game is officiated over the years. Uh, Patreon.com slash thinking basketball. That is it for this one. As always, thanks for listening all the way through. And wherever you are, I hope you are having a great day. <laughs>